Welcome to This Week in the 90s, back once again, brought to you by Alive and Gigging, the original 90s football podcast, and the band is back together. Yes, we've been away for a few weeks, international schedules, a full-length show, some of us have been to Turin and back, but we are back, and we're talking a lot of international stuff this week, which is quite apt since it's International Week anyway for England, playing USA tomorrow night, and then Croatia on Sunday afternoon, I believe it is. Anyway, let's uh, introduce my boys that are 90s enthusiasts. Firstly, he's a social media mogul for many of TV outlets. Uh, he's my friend and yours. Joe Young, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right, although I am very disappointed you never said, you know, back once again with a renegade master. Oh, before damage done, your power yeah. the table. I mean, that's really sort of... Um, I bought that on CD single. Wild Child, Fat yeah. Boy Slim remix. Yeah, there you go. It, was, it was an orangey cover, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it's uh, it still stands up for me. There's some nice Fat Boy Slim remixes just kicking about at the minute, which mm. are really good. There's a nice one of Praise You that sounds like a mix between Praise You and Funky Town. Oh, okay. Uh, there's quite a nice one of Gangster Trippin' that's doing around. Oh, that's as well. a tune. That's yeah, an absolute so... tune. That's my favourite. Is um, I still like the fact that he plays Grandstand. I did. I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. I love that he plays it in clubs and uh, kids don't even know what it is. Um, staying silent and being a good boy there is our other uh, member of the trio here. He is a writer for many plethora of outfits. He's also your friend of mine, Matthew Christ, back from Turin. How are you doing? Yeah, it's good, to, it's good to all be back. It's a bit of an irony, really, wouldn't it? Because International Weekend, or International Week, I usually get the old heave-ho and I don't get the call. <laughs> so it's funny that after all these weeks away, I come back and it's an international break. But yeah, yeah well, I'm not yeah. complaining. It's, it's good to all be... Uh, together again in one room almost so on to one speak. line on one line yeah. yeah yeah you never get the heave ho that's 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 the other thing no, no, i just get i just get rested get rested get rested yeah, on, the, on the ryan ryan gigs of uh international week when it comes to podcasting yeah. i always I, I injure a toenail or uh pick up some <laughs> yeah. p- pick up a knock Keep if it, you fancy it if it's a yeah, big game basically. yeah keeping it keeping it 2018 how was your trip to turin for the i assume the man united game yeah, it was good. Yeah, I went to Milan first and then got the train to Turin and, um, yeah, two decent cities. Milan's all right. But he, he was but... drinking lots of wine, I saw on Facebook. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When in when in Rome and all that, or mm. Milan or Turin or wherever else. But no, it was, it was good. And the fun, funny thing is anyone that ever knows me knows that usually when I do a European away game, I usually clear off about half-time because one... It's dreadful watching United play at the best of times, let alone in Europe, where they're usually getting hammered. And two, you get kept behind for ages at European away games. So I usually think, oh, 60 minutes gone. Nil-nil or, or worse, I, I'll clear off. But on this occasion, I didn't. And it's probably just as well, because I would have missed all the all the action. So, and I would score that's probably... 90s Man United victory, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I was reading how they've got... Yeah, it was, uh, it was the first time they scored two goals in the last 10 minutes of Champions League game since the 99 Cup final, apparently. Oh, well, there's a good 90s and twist the, on it. Yeah, yeah and the, they obviously won there in 99 on the way to that final. Mm. Also won there, I think it's the third win there in the European Cup. I think they've got the best record of any away team at Turin, obviously not that new stadium, yeah, yeah. new stadium, but uh, in, at Juventus. But whether it will count for anything in the long run, probably not. But mm. I'd probably get to see them through the group, but then, then yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll play someone half decent. Yeah, although Juventus, that will be even at half time, definitely. Yeah. Oh, well, let's move it to. Uh, well, actually, before I say that, I should say that um, quick, a quick cheap plug. Joan and I were at the wrestling earlier this month, weren't we? <laughs> We did, yeah, last last Thursday night, yeah. Yeah, we had a date of the wrestling. And for anyone who does like their graps, 
um, me and Gerald are starting a, another podcast in in the world of not very many wrestling podcasts. So if you do like your wrestling, check out Wrestling Origins, set to drop at the end of this week. Me and Joel, just talking wrestling first, pretty much, aren't we, boy? Yes, yes, yes. I've just been watching the uh, first Survivor Series. I still haven't got through the final, the main event match, because I've just been scribbling down so many notes. <laughs> it's going to be um, the longest show ever. Well, I wish yeah, you'd, I I wish you'd put I think, so much effort into this one. I think this first... Oh, mate, I've done them both tonight, but I think that I think that this first wrestling one with this Survivor Series, and we're going to talk about like the first time we got into wrestling, and I think there's and there's quite a lot that's happened sort of this week in the wrestling as well, yes. as pertains to the Survivor Series that happens on Sunday, which a lot of it doesn't make sense but let's nope. not bore people who are here for the football no. yeah before we're going to go and talk about 80s wrestling but there's some incredible stuff in this survivor yeah. series yeah it's a bit but, of a, it's a slog but we'll get through it so anyone yes, wants to yes. listen to us talk about wrestling wrestling origins coming soon to a podcast platform near you but that's talk 90s football because that's really why you're here and um i'm gonna i was gonna plug what well, the fact that we're talking about it on Talksport later but by the time people listen to this Talksport is live but if you are a Talksport fan last night when by the time we did do it they did a thing on Talksport talking about what decade is the best and uh, I'm going to put my sort of pennies worth in about the 90s at some point so keeping it real for the 90s um, and that's what we do on here and we're talking the 13th of November 1999 to kick things off tonight because um, each kind of section we're talking about is about an England qualification process of course it's in the Nations League in 2018 but this is when we were qualifying for a plethora of tournaments uh, this 99 game is England Scotland the old enemies, as they're constantly called, um, hadn't played each other since Euro 96 at this point, but they were drawn together um, in the playoffs for Euro 2000 after England finished second in their group uh, behind Sweden. Uh, Kevin Keegan was the manager, having taken over in March after the Glenn Hoddle debacle and then Glenn, uh, Kevin Keegan part-time permanent. We've been through that on here before. Um, and this was drawn, I remember the draw very vividly, um, very excited at the time. I really, really wanted to get tickets, and I managed to get to Wembley um, for the second one. I can still vividly see me in my living room in Plumstead, on waiting on the phone because they didn't have internet. I don't think Ticketmaster even existed in 1999. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there I was trying to get tickets, and eventually my mum got through, got us tickets for the Wembley game. But let's kick off with the uh, the Wayleg at Hampden Park. Um, kick it off with you, Joe. I mean, this really the tie was kind of over after. F- 40 minutes when Paul Scholes hit a double, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, Scotland started off pretty well in the game, I think, remember. They had sort of three very good chances in the first 15 yeah. minutes. And Kevin Kevin Gallagher seemed to be the boy, as he would be probably called now by all the kids. You know, he was a bit he was a bit of the lad, wasn't he, in that one, in that he, he had a couple of good chances and then uh, decided to blow it by going in for a bit of a ridiculous challenge on Michael Owen when he was about to break free. So, uh, but he was all over the game right at the start. It's very impressive. You know, this is kind of like, and I don't want to be rude to any Scottish people listening, although I doubt, I doubt there's many. But, um, Hello. This is pro- yeah. <laughs> this is pro- oh, John, does John Devlin not listen down here? Oh, of course, John Devlin. Yeah, the great John Devlin. Yeah, um, but um, this was probably like the last anywhere near decent. Yeah, Scotland team really wasn't it? I think sort of looking at it with Craig Brown in charge. I think and um, yeah, it was it, it was cool. But yeah, England just got it straight away. I think if you, I don't know whether you watched the highlights that I watched with uh, John Watson doing the commentary, but he's talking all day about he'd gone and watched. He'd gone and watch Scotland train up in air and Colin Hendry wasn't fit. And then all of a sudden he's playing mm. against Owen and Scholes at that point. It's uh, it's not great, is it? No, yeah, it's it's, well, it's the first goal, isn't it, that Paul Scholes uh, zips round 
Colin Hendry, uh, something he's used to seeing in that in that decade of seeing England players zip around him, a la year ninety six. He's been on the show. He talks about it quite candidly. Um, and then it was Paul Scholes, and then the second goal, and this must uh, sort of give you a big old nostalgic look at Man United in this period, Matthew, because it's a, a beautiful Beckham cross and a beautiful Scholesy header, isn't it? Yeah, it was a it was a picture book United goal of the mid late 90s wasn't it um it was only when I, I, th- I thought i remembered the game pretty well i mean i obviously remember it i remember the ex- huge excitement around the game when the draw was made it was a saturday afternoon wasn't it yeah. three o'clock this game and it was a case of getting everybody around with the beers in or whatever we were doing or hooch or whatever probably a bit old for hooch by 99 <laughs> um and i remember it vividly but i watched it back earlier on like probably not as in detail as Joel did with his notepad and pen but yeah. um but yeah the, the, I thought I remembered the goals but it doesn't have make you re- realize one like Joel said Scotland were a really pretty decent team uh, then I mean that sounds a bit patronizing but I mean they have had to, some rotten teams in the in the past but they were a real good team then but also what a good team England had and we, we've said this before that sort of 98 you know France 98 hoddle that sort of era how they didn't kick on they never kicked on but they still had a a lot of those decent players playing here and um, especially the United contingent and that second goal I mean that was the archetypal Beckham cross wasn't it I mean they always used to say how Beckham couldn't really beat a man but he didn't need to when he put a cross in and this was obviously a pre-kick so a dead ball situation but I mean it was it was in the perfect position for anyone to attack that ball it was in that corridor of uncertainty wasn't it the, the keeper can't really come for it the defender doesn't want to get a touch all you've got to do is get a, a a flick onto it, there which was some uh, shocking marking though, as well. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Scholes is the one that sort of rises up there with the header. He's not particularly known for his aerial ability, although you know he, he could obviously score like that. Well, we give that to the credit to the the zip on the cross. You know, <laughs> that's what I thought when, just... when I when I watched that goal. You, if you haven't seen a David Beckham cross for you know, well, clearly I haven't seen it for a number of years because he's not playing now. But when you haven't seen one for a while, you just forget what an absolute magic wand he had of a foot when he Yeah, and the, the, the other thing I noticed was it wasn't that tight into the... I mean, it was a, probably a good... It was sort of on the far touchline, wasn't it? So it was probably yeah. directly... Probably, what, 40 yards from the centre of the... Well, the actual goal itself. So, I mean, it wasn't like he just... It wasn't on the corner of the box. I mean, it had to travel some distance and it was travelling at pace, wasn't it? So um, it just goes to show what a, what a sort of powerful cross he had I mean it, it goes without saying obviously because we know that but to just see him deliver that ball it was it was a stationary ball so he had to put something on it to get it into that danger zone and with enough pace to be able to deceive the keeper and the defenders and be able to cause a threat for the players attacking the ball I just thought it's funny you mentioned it because when I was watching it, I thought yeah that really is if obviously they're in England shirts but if you wanted to encapsulate a sort of Manchester United goal of that era that would be it really wouldn't it no it would be you mentioned the Scotland team Joel and yeah some great names of that era like you say with Colin Hendry Christian Daly Cam Gallo Craig Burley sort of you know off that team of the 98 World Cup the last tournament that Scotland even qualified for and, and the England team again you're looking at the 98 but I don't know if any of you saw the bench the England bench in this game there were some odd names on, on a very eclectic mix of players. So Gareth Southgate, who played in the second leg, um, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, Trevor Sinclair, who go on to play 2002. Kevin Phillips, already top of his game. Andy Cole, Nigel Martin. Dennis Wise, interesting at the end of his career. And Steve Froggart. Oh, from uh, Wolves at Coventry. Yeah, I think he was at, yeah. was he at Coventry that time. Yeah, it would have been Coventry this time, wouldn't he? He would have left Villa, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so that wasn't... Yeah, cause he never got an England cap, but it was interesting he was in the squad. I think who picked, who picked him for the squad? Was that you, Matthew? Me? No, 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 no. Did you pick him? I think it might have been Sid. 
Was it? Yeah, yeah it wouldn't it. have been me. I'm just thinking, was Steve Frog at a left-sided player? Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm just thinking you had him and Wise there on the but that was that epitomizes that that issue that England had with left-sided players for a lot of that that sort of decade or we like decades. to call it the Ryan Giggs question yeah. yes or Ryan yeah, Wilson just, as it could have been yeah. Yeah. it just it just was always that debate wasn't it? it was always that thing that, and we said the other week how we had players like Sinton getting called up and um, Hinchcliffe and, and yeah, they always had this thing of we were not really sure who we're going to play on the left or you know and that I think that that bench sums that question right up because mm. I'm trying to think who would have, who was actually playing who was actually playing on the left. I think I I looked at the teams. I think it was a I think Keegan played three at the back. I think he had Campbell Adams and Keown at the back, and then Neville as a wing back, yeah, left so, wing back. Yeah, yeah. so eliminate, eliminating the, the that dilemma, but at least having the backup of Steve Froggett on the bench just in case. I suppose. Yeah, but in, interestingly, in the second leg, which we'll talk about now, which was on the 18th of November. Well, hold on, hold on. Go on. To talk about in the in the Go first on. leg. This is the shot from. Um, from Dodds. Oh, the, 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 it's just, and when I watched it, it reminded me so much of the exact same way that um, Ronaldinho would get Seaman later on. Yes. And the way that Naeem had... Well, obviously Naeem was from the halfway line, but he didn't half have a little weakness for balls floating over the top of him, didn't he, Seaman? Because that one from Dodds, that, it, it hits the bar and then, it, it, you know, you, you don't know... That changes the whole game completely there, doesn't it? But, you know, like the Ronaldinho one later on, was that? That was 2002, wasn't it? The Ronaldinho? Yeah, yeah. There's another one as well. I'm trying to think. This escapes me now, but there was he an... doesn't like those floating, no. looping balls, does he? Just it goes straight. And it's the exact same thing. I was just like, I'd never sort of put the two together really, and just gone, oh my goodness. What is funny on the highlights that I watched on YouTube, and I don't know whether this is the same for you lads, but uh, they didn't show any highlights in the second half because it was that bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that, and I, I thought maybe I was watching. I, I, it took me. A while I went to work out some other ones. Yeah, yeah I was thinking, thing. am I watching the actual game here? Because it was like a forty odd minute um, video on YouTube, and only of one half. And I was thinking, is this actually the whole rerun <laughs> of the whole game? But no, it wasn't. But no, they just the highlight. Yeah, the, it, most of the highlights that you find online have just got the first half. Yeah. Nothing else. Well, that because that... It, just England just basically sat there and sort of thought of it as. As job done, really. Which obviously, as we come to the second game, it's exactly it the same as well. I mean, that game was. I went to this game. I remember it being an absolute turgid performance from England because it it was pretty much as you say. I thought they think it was job done at that point, didn't they? Um, a little bit arrogant as well to to Scott to Scotland as we've already said they were a decent team. Um, but going back to the the left sided, we, we were talking about Jamie Redknapp played on the left side in the second leg, um, and Gareth Southgate came in for Martin Keown, so, and that didn't work successful. England didn't have a single shot on goal in this game. Yeah. Um, they lost 1-0 um, to a Don Hutchinson header from, a, um, I think it was, a, it was a Billy Dodds cross. No, Neil McCann. Neil McCann. Yeah, Neil McCann. No, it was Neil McCann, yeah. yeah. Um, which Andy Gray, on, I don't know if these are the same highlights you guys watch, Andy Gray, yeah. you can tell he's like, cat got the cream, he's absolutely loving it. Um, which, you know, it's he should do. that Hutchinson out-jumps Tony Adams. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he, jump, he hangs in... It's he more about timing, isn't it? Yeah, and hangs yeah. down. Yeah, he's he's up, and he, he think he's jumped too soon, and he he obviously hangs Dennis Law like, and then still has the power to to put it in the back of the net. It wasn't it's just a really good the, goal. Yeah, I thought it was a yeah. Again, I remembered it, and I thought I'd remembered it, and then I thought oh, I'll just have a look back, and uh, yeah, it was a, a proper old old school, old fashioned striker's header that one. Mm. Yeah, Don Atchison from Gateshead 
near Scotland. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Well, about about 80, 90 miles or so. Yeah, I mean, decent player at the time. But, I, I mean, Scotland, in fairness to him in this game, although they never really looked like they were going to equalise, they were by far and away the better team. And you could even argue over the two legs slightly shaded it. Do you, do you think England could, could be a bit lucky out of this? It depends what... I mean, obviously, they get the two goals in the first quarter mm. of the game, effectively. And then, you know, we call it game management now, isn't it? That's what it is. It's, they manage the rest of that first leg. And then the, and then the second game, it was just kind of like... You know, and I think this sort of... I mean, everybody knows my thoughts on Keegan by now. But, uh, <laughs> no, I don't. No, tell me, tell me. no, no. There's, there's definitely but no time I, I for that. I think there's definitely sort of points towards the sort of not being prepared I suppose and, and, and the sort of lack of of everything that that Keegan had at that level that he, he could just send lads out on pride and talent alone without sort of tactics or or anything else you know it, it sort of points towards that with me and not to have a shot on target this is meant to be you know Keegan the entertainer and all this business you know I, I remember even thinking at this point oh, this isn't very good mm-hmm. well you had Shearer and Owen as well Shearer obviously England captain Michael Owen at the very peak of his powers had terrible both of these games he was absolutely terrible I think he was taken off in the second leg um, sort of in 50 he was taken off in the first wasn't he for call yeah and the second leg for Heskey and you know I mean he was you know we're coming off the back of the 98 World Cup at this point Michael Owen his hamstrings were still perfect he was still one of the um, what we'd go on to be the uh, Ballon d'Or two years later so we're still talking peak Michael Owen but he didn't have a he didn't have a sniff Shearer didn't really have a sniff so you know Scotland and Craig Brown really done more of their homework and you think England were just shot sharp shop after those two goals at Hamden and Paul Scholes being the hero of that obviously England went on to play at Euro 2000 and went out in the group stage despite a victory over Germany who actually went out at the bottom of that group as well so yeah so it was all for nothing in the end as per usual England thanks very much um, that's talk about another all for nothing eventuality as well 14th of November 1991 um this was pointed out by our friend of the show, Sid Lambert, this morning that got me adding it to our schedule. Um, one of the games that I remember really, really vividly as a kid, Poland won, England won. This was for qualification to Euro 92. Again, a tournament that was wasted that we called the Forgotten Tournament here. Go way back in the archives when we, we talk about that tournament. Um, England went into the game needing a point to guarantee, uh, guarantee qualification um, ahead of Poland and the Republic of Ireland, who I completely forgot we were in their qualifying group during this one. Um, went down quite early uh, in the second half to a effective free kick off Gary Mabbott. Then it was all kind of lots of chances for England at that point from Lineker, David Rocastle, Gary Mabbott had a header. But in the end, old Gary Lineker came up traps again, didn't he, Matthew? He did, in a, in a classic Lineker-esque. It's a great volley. Sort of, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, he had that ability. He was always good at sort of hanging back and, and, and cracking it in from, a, you know, from an angle. And... Um, you sort of think of him as, as fading away in um, this this period of his career, which <clears throat> I assume he did. Well, he did, didn't he? Because his last game came in the in the tournament proper. But um, the only problem with this game is, and anyone that's slightly older than the era that we're talking here, is that England seemed to play Poland in every yes. possible <laughs> qualification <laughs> tournament ever from about 1974 right the way through. Every time they ever had European Championships or World Cup, England played Poland. So... All my memories are, are skewed by a couple of times I was thinking, oh, that was that game. No, it wasn't that one. And oh, that was that one. No, it wasn't that one. Um, but no, it was. It, we, it, played, we played them again, which we're going to talk about, but we played them again in the, in the next qualifying campaign, which is just. Yeah, ever since maybe since his punishment for Clough calling the keeper a clown. Well, that <laughs> yeah. was the that was the most famous one, wasn't it? The Tomaszewski one. Four, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a one at 
there was a famous one at Wembley, wasn't there, when they played on a Saturday afternoon? Or that, I think that might have been a pre-season friendly. But they ten, tended to play, I, I assume it was the sort of seedings and the coefficient, if it was called that back then. But, I mean, it must have... It, England and Poland always ended up in the same group. And quite often the away game was played at about three o'clock in the afternoon and you'd have people bunking off school or bringing the Manchester <laughs> radio in or, you know, it was, it was that sort of excitement of a trip behind the Iron Curtain as it was back then. Um, and you had the commentary Poland, that sounded all over. Down the phone line, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that was different because Poland are a half, become a half-decent team in, sort of in the last couple of decades but back then they were the, almost the whipping boys of of uh, international football so they, this get for this game to be as, as sort of key as it was was, was quite unusual but um, yeah I do after I'd refresh my memory and um, and look back I do remember it being a, a real nerve jangler at the time um, but like you say there were there were quite a few nerve janglers in that uh, build up to that tournament but um, all seemed to be pointless in the end but we didn't know that at the time did we so we uh, we, were, we were full of optimism and confidence yeah. and, and rightly so yeah. but, um, I remember what this is again a vivid memory I've got watching this in my living room and when Lineker scored because I mean 1990 was such a big impact on me so Gary Lineker was still like top hero at the time and when he scored I, I can see myself running around my living room going mental thinking yeah that's it we've, we've done it we're going to win the European Championships not that I at the time probably knew how soon or how far away they were but that is a real strong memory of my childhood this goal well, this game was this a Saturday evening I think it, I'm pretty sure it was an evening I'm pretty yeah, sure it was an I evening thought it, I heard it in my head it was a Saturday evening but yeah, not, it was definitely kickoff. Yeah, but we don't know whether it was a Saturday. Wherever the 13th of November was in 1991. Yeah, it's definitely an evening game, I remember, because it was a novelty. Because, like I say, they must have. Because for a lot of the away games in uh, against Poland back then, it was always an afternoon kickoff, I assume, because they didn't have floodlights or there was something to do with it. <laughs> they didn't have electricity. Well, no, but I remember. No, but that used to happen. No, but there must have. There was, I remember United playing Pesky Munkas in the first round of the infamous, infamous Cup Winners Cup in. Um, 1990-91 and uh, that was an afternoon game England played Turkey I remember away and that was an afternoon what game what was the date remember. on this one Ash sorry 13th of November 1991 it was a Wednesday um, it was a Wednesday night was it oh, yeah the excitement of it being a night game must have uh, just distracted me but it was a novelty you look it up it was quite often England played on a, and it was a daytime game and I don't know what the reason was I don't know whether it was a work situation or the time or what because Poland's not you know it's only an hour time difference so I never knew what that actually was but obviously for a lot of the 70s and 80s it was a communist country so maybe there was something more to it but this sticks in my memory for the fact it was a night game but there you go mm. it's a, have you looked at the team Joe it's a, there's a quite of a what would come to know from Graham Taylor he's a mix of the boys you expected to be tick, and then some very interesting names. Have you seen the, the, the plethora of names on here? Well, I, I saw your friend, Mr. Sinton. It was his debut, England debut, yeah. Yeah, he took some very bad corners yeah. in that game. I mean, it, it's a wonder he got sort of picked again, really. But come on, regale me with some uh, well, wonderful it was also, names. It was also Anthony Daly's debut, as I... Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah Mr. Who came yeah. on for Sinton in the 70th minute. I thought he'd actually played before that. I didn't realise that these two played in the, the debut on the same one. Andy Gray got his only cap... Crystal Palace and that Crystal Palace is Andy oh, Gray right. at the time. Um, got his only cap. Gary Mabbott, a rare cap in that era yeah. for him. Which... Did you say Brocastle played as well? Brocastle yeah. played. He yeah. took the oh, that's, that's somebody that should have played a lot more, don't you think? And he did. 
Absolutely, I mean, yeah. I think we talked about him before, didn't we, as an underrated or something? We, I mean, he was a fantastic player at Arsenal and, and in this era. I mean, it was. I think part was of that about... mob, wasn't he, with kind of Merson and Adams and, you yeah. know, that sort of really, you know, title winning Arsenal sides. And an integral yeah. part of it. Didn't he go to Chelsea as well? Later yeah, on? yeah I mean, it went, about, it went very sour for him after he left Arsenal. But um, in that peak, I mean, it was around about this time that he scored that fantastic goal at Old Trafford. Yeah. You know, he took it around about five players and chipped um, Schmeichel. So, I mean, I, I'm just wondering why he didn't, why he wasn't uh, wasn't involved Correct. more than yeah. he was. I mean, Graham Taylor, for all of what he was as England manager, he particularly had his favourites, didn't he? And, you know, he ignored Paul Gascoigne, he ignored Chris Waddle for a lot of, I mean, well, I mean Gascoigne was injured half of it, but he ignored a lot of the big players. Um, from the uh, World Cup squad of 1990. So, it, yeah, I mean... It, it but, just... I mean, Roadcastle had been around. He was a young, yeah. very young when he was at I think he was Arsenal for about 84 or something like that. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it had his chances to, before Taylor. So, I'm just mm. trying to think, well, I suppose he would have had competition in the middle of the park from, well, Robson, Platt, Slade, yeah. Platt um, Webb, people like that, I suppose, over the years. But I'm just Andy surprised. Sinton. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> I love Andy Sinton, but how he got 12 England caps, I don't know, because there was a lot of talent in front of him. But fair play to Andy, he was great for QPR. Um, Rowcastle actually got his first cap in 1988. So, you know. So under Robson, yeah. Yeah, so under Robson, and then had 14 more England caps. But yeah, he is somebody, because he's also somebody that when you hear from Arsenal players of that era, especially the likes of Ian Wright and Lee Dixon, Merson they all, loves it. They all love him, him, didn't they? They all yeah. love him. Yeah, they, and they were, you know, they were saying how, they've always said how key he was to yeah. that. To the Arsenal resurgence under George Graham in the late eighties, um, you know, and he was a, a hard, a hard man. I don't think, but he was a he played the game hard. You know, he he was, he was a, a rock in the centre of the, the park. So I mean, really, he's the but ideal they candidate. Through, they brought through Lords, didn't they? That because we've talked about Paul Davis Paul quite Davis, a lot, and, yeah. and um, you know, and but then obviously there's people like Gus Caesar who came right mm. the way through, and then Blue was it the Cup final against Luton in nineteen eighty seven or nineteen eighty eight? I think eighty eight Cup final, yeah. Yeah, Little Ian Selly as well. A bit later on, he was always touted to be the next big thing, and he never worked yeah. out for him. I, I mean, if, if you ever see the film '89, uh, at the beginning of it, they very much paint the picture of George Graham coming in after Don Howe, and sort of you know how he didn't want to buy the big names, and you know they'd gone through the thing of buying Charlie Nicholas and spending big money, and he basically built this team of young local London boys, and um, and sort of brought them through and just completely overhauled it because I mean Arsenal were pretty dog poor in a lot of the uh, sort of early mid mid 80s weren't they and then it was only with that sort of last three or four years of the 80s where they really came into their own with a lot of these young young players that that Graham had sort of uh, moulded and then it all came to a head that famous night at Anfield in uh, May of 89 mm, yeah. Michael Thomas Thank goodness it did, eh? Yeah, listen to, oh, listen to Alan Smith talk about that night on a, a couple of episodes ago. He talks quite in length, even though this is a 90 podcast, we had to ask him oh. about that. Um, Jeff, and a couple of other names in this team. Jeff Thomas, who always talk about that miss against France in 1992. And uh, Chris Woods in goal, who I'm wishing a happy birthday. And Joel, you appreciated that tweet I put out earlier, didn't you? I did appreciate the tweet, <laughs> but I still want to know why he was, he was ironing an outfield Sheffield Wednesday shirt, not goalkeeping. Sheffield Wednesday shirt. That's weird. It's, and it's got no sponsor on at that point, which is disappointing because I almost like I always like when they were sponsored by either Chupa Chups or Mr. Tom Asda. being a sweet 
being a sweet. Were they sponsored back? God, they were, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, Asda, yeah. Back in that but day. Asda's from Leeds, so maybe there was some sort of issue going on there because mm. Asda is right, Associated Dairies of Leeds. That's what Asda stands for, not for you know great food at good value. Yeah. Okay. There's there's a fact I wouldn't need to know tonight. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just telling you. Uh, yeah. Chris Woods ironing his Sheffield Wednesday player shirt. Check it out on Twitter. Happy birthday to Chris Woods and to Keith Curl, who was on the bench um, in this game as well. David Seaman. Going back to David Seaman, we were talking earlier about him being lobbed. I just had that Lee Dixon own goal against Coventry in my head because he was lobbed for that one as well. That famous yeah. own goal, if I remember rightly. Um, but yeah, so that ended. Um, well, not ended. That that helped England progress to Euro 92. Another Gary Lineker salvo there. And, and as we David said... David Seaman, by the way, I'm just, I don't know why this has crossed my mind, but do you think David Seaman is one of those people who looks like he has a moustache even when he doesn't have a moustache? <laughs> you know, yeah. like John Major or Ian Botham. Definitely you know, Nigel Mansell. Yeah. Nigel Mansell. You know, Ian Botham hasn't had a tash for about 15 years or 20 years or something. Everybody still thinks that Ian Botham's got a moustache. Yeah, if you want to me. really ask, ask somebody in the street, has Ian Botham got a moustache? Yeah, yeah. Has David Seaman got a moustache? I don't think he's got a moustache anymore, does he? I don't, do you know what? Actually, I saw a picture of him earlier on Twitter and he hasn't, no. Yeah, so, so but I would assume that he would have, yeah. Yeah. Well, it came part and parcel with it. With the Well, not much, so much the ponytail in later years, but... Mm. That was a, a terrible. By the way, and this has just crossed my mind, just after form nothing. And I know we've got to be quick on this, but what do we think about Harry Redknapp going into I'm a celebrity? Oh. Get me out of here! I'm absolutely baffled to why he's doing it because I, I can't. And one would assume that he doesn't need the money, um, so, unless it's getting paid into his dog's bank account. Yeah, but and profile-wise, what does Harry Redknapp need to prove at this eight stage of his career? It's not like he's looking for a new career at, you know, 60-odd years of age. So I just don't get why he's doing it. Does Sandra just want him out of the house for a few weeks? Is she getting a bit annoyed that he's not managing a team? I Very odd. probably waved, waved a lot of money at him. Apparently, well, my wife was telling me, because she works in women's magazines, so she's got a bit of a ear to the ground on these sort of things, that he's getting paid more than anyone's ever got paid on that show. Yeah, it's going to be Edmonds. It's going to be Noel Edmonds. Noel Edmonds is apparently getting half a million. Is, this pay, is the pay structure not... It's not an equal... No, no, it's no, 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 not at all. It's all based on who you are. power and yeah. things like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did hear them talking about Noel Edmonds today and they said he was getting paid paid a lot and obviously you think it's 500,000. Yeah. Do you think... Do you, I wonder... I like Noel Edmonds and he's obviously a big part of my childhood, but is he, is he now the kind of star that... You could command that, do you think? Well, you I think can. a lot of people have clapped their hands and got excited about that. Yeah, I think a lot of people have gone, oh, God, this could be quite good fun. Because you can imagine him and Nick Knowles going at it. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah. took a ball to see who's going to be the biggest arsehole, and Noel Edmonds won. Yeah, I, got, I, I think he'll be an arse. Yeah. I, I think I've got an impression of him that, you know, because he's part, you know, Noel's house party is a massive part of my childhood, but I get the feeling that he's, I suppose they try and appeal, it's a bit like Strictly this year, they try and appeal to the, every age group, isn't it? So they've got the guy from Hollyoaks and Emily Attack from Inbetweeners to appeal mm. to someone, and then you need Noel Edmonds for that, you know, generation who remember him for telly addicts yeah. and, and but, I mean, he's like been that. kicking about, but, you know, you think Noel Edmonds' career has been going on for 50 years? Yeah. Since the beginning, was he, I don't think he was quite there at the beginning of Radio 1, but he was on the pirate radio and all that and then all the way through the 70s 80s 90s i mean god noel edmonds is even sort of indirectly responsible for the death of a man on television and yet he's still you know he is 30 years after that yeah and he was the only man to present qpr a trophy in the 90s because we're the only team to ever win a gotcha oscar there have that <laughs> what? have you never seen that oh, go, what, this no is... you'll have to post that ash yeah yeah that's your job tonight in yeah mid 90s um that he 
you know, the, you all remember the Gotcha Oscar where he used to get celebrities to prank them, blah, blah, blah. He, yeah. pranked, he pranked the QPR team a, a new kit launch and all the kits were like ridiculous, like flamboyant. They had like sort of tassels on them and sort of gold sequins and things like that. And it's... We've seen the, there was a kit with tassels on. I think Columbus Crew or something yeah. in the 1970s. Well, this, and yeah, NASL. this was, that was even, that was accept, that was kind of acceptable. These are ridiculous. You wouldn't believe that they're kits, but Les Like Ferd... Randy Savage. Sort of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And I think yeah. it's Les, it's the, it's the 92, 93 squad, I think. So I remember Ferdinand McDonald, I think Ian Holloway's having a laugh about it which you can well imagine yeah, it's on youtube i'll yeah i'll post them. it'd be good to watch and talk about at some point it's a <laughs> it's a very random because obviously bbc qpr very closely intertwined being around the corner so it was an easy team to do i suppose but yeah mm-hmm. we've won a trophy that no one else has won so there you go that's a good oh, i like that tangent okay went back to QPR in the 90s <laughs> that's, that's always good um we're sticking with obviously the 90s and this is a fateful night 17th of november 1993 we've already talked about the uh, do i not like night a couple of episodes ago with england lost in holland this was last chance saloon for graham taylor's england and qualifying for usa 94 they went to well i say they went to san marino they didn't they went to bologna to play this game to play san marino they needed to win by seven clear goals and hope that poland did them a favor by beating holland which wasn't out of the range possibility poland were a decent side by this point um, england had lost to holland and norway already in the group so this put them in this position um matthew what happened after 8.3 seconds uh david seaman didn't get lobbed did he mm-hmm. no, <laughs> no. no i think uh noel, noel edmonds didn't turn up and no present someone with a gotcha oscar i no. think i think that yuri geller might have been involved maybe so. well the man involved who's made a lot probably is a household name in san marino david gaultieri i remembered his name without having did you i didn't expect that yeah I went, oh yeah, David Galtieri, and then went, eh, where have I plucked that from? Yeah. I can't remember what happened three days ago, but I could remember David Galtieri. Come so, on. This is literally from the kickoff. If anyone's never seen this, and I doubt that if you listen to this podcast, I'm, I'm imagining that you're all very aware of this game, but straight from the kickoff, ball kind of is played, a couple of passes towards England's half, goes to Stuart Pearce, for some reason tries a back pass, completely gets it wrong, and then Galtieri snips in, and England are 1-0 down. And if you think San Marino are minnows now, in 1993, they were proper minnows. 39 goals conceded in nine qualifiers, but somehow they went 1-0 ahead. And I don't know if you guys have watched the highlights that I watched uh, today, but I think it's Phil Thompson on um, CoComs, and he's saying, I knew this was going to happen. I said, what if England would have scored? Now, I don't believe that for a second, because I don't at that era... There was no chance you thought that San Marino would take the lead, so I'm calling BS on that one. Well, I tell you why I know that wasn't the case because I remember the odds in this game, and don't even go. England, <laughs> England were 33 to one on to win the game, which at the time was the most odds on you could be because you had to start to pay tax on your bet then. So if you if it was anything more than 33 to one on, you'd end up paying more tax than you'd get back. So I remember, <laughs> I remember. Uh, Reading that England were thirty-three to one on, and thinking that's just incredible. You'd never, you know, basically you had to put thirty-three quid on to win a pound back. So I assume San Marino were the uh, were the ten percent tax. Yeah, and then ten percent tax. So you basically, you know, you wouldn't you you wouldn't gain. So uh, that doesn't happen now. You can have teams that have sixty-six to one on and hundred to one on, but. Um, but no, I do remember that. I remember thinking uh, maybe I should have a bet, but um, it just wasn't worth it. Obviously. But I would have liked to have had a bet on uh, if Phil Thompson had given me a tip, and I'd have put the money on uh, what's his name to score the first goal. David Galtieri. 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 Yeah. 
although it sounds like Waltieri uh, um, at some points when they're trying to pronounce his name, but I think it's Gualtieri, although I could be butchering the San Marinian, is that right? San Marinian text. Um, but this, I mean, obviously after that, although it took a little bit of time, uh, 20 minutes in England, run riot. I mean, Matthew, this was always going to be Mission Impossible. They did score seven, but it wasn't enough in the end, and really they needed to score more, didn't they? Yeah, it was really, just that sort of calamitous start really summed up the whole... Uh, I was going to say the whole Graham Taylor era. That's probably a bit unfair, but this sort of uh, campaign and uh, everything that was going wrong could go wrong, and the fact that it started like that... You, I mean, we all knew that England would probably come back and score the goals they needed, but the problem was they just—it wouldn't have mattered if they had scored ten. It was just—but it, it was just the—it was the comical nature in which it happened. But um, but I, like most of the rest of the nation, turned over to watch the. Uh, well, I, well, I had no choice because BBC cut to watch uh, cut to Cardiff, didn't they, for the, uh, yeah, the Wales game the same night, which which caused a lot of a big stink at the time. But um, I mean, I can't see people doing it now, but. Um, it seemed the obvious decision, but yeah, in terms of the England game, it, it was. Uh, it would have been great if if they didn't have to rely on Poland. It would have made for great entertainment, wouldn't it? Because it would have been the ultimate, you know, all hands on deck trying to get those goals. But it was almost it was half-hearted because we knew it didn't really make any difference. I mean, that's I'm going to get. I'm going to get to the decision the BBC made in our in our next thing, sort of during this game, which is pretty incredible, yeah. really. Um, which I'd never heard about until today. But, no, um, I didn't either. England were... I mean, it was just abysmal at that time, wasn't it? It just wasn't right. And what really struck me... I watched... Did you watch the Sports Night highlights? That I did, on? yes, with Jimmy Hill, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was kind of quite fascinating afterwards because they were so... <laughs> they, I mean, England was so poor and they sort of... Motson says in commentary, oh, well, you know... Holland have won anyway, you know, so so that's that. But then there was this, there was so much time given to this really old-fashioned sort of interview with Graham Taylor that could have come from like the 1930s or the 1940s or the 1950s in his in his use of language. And then Graham Kelly sort of both using quite sort of polite, weird, saying nothing language. And and that wouldn't happen now. And then and then when you go afterwards, you see Desmond Lyon and Terry Venables just so happens to be <laughs> on the panel on sports night. And they, and they talk to Venables. And Jimmy Hill comes out with a really peculiar turn of phrase saying, if you're intelligent enough not to take the job, then you're intelligent enough to take it when you're offered. <laughs> like everyone's going, well, we can't ignore what you mean, Jimmy. But... Um, Oh God, yeah, very, 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 very poor English English side, and especially after we'd done so well in 1990. I mean, that's the thing. It's like sort of when you see something disintegrating right before your very eyes. Yeah, it's. I've got I've sort of rose tinted spectacles about this actually because I remember because obviously you not you weren't in a log cabin. On this I was occasion, not in a log. I don't remember where I, was, <laughs> I must have been at home watching this one. I don't remember vividly where I was, but I do remember being really happy seeing because my so at the time my best friend was an Arsenal fan. I'm obviously a QPR fan to see Ferdinand and Ian Wright play up front together, which I don't think they did many times for England, given that Wright was never really given a fair shot, was he, in terms of the competition he had in front of him. Um, and, and I think they actually played quite well together. But actually, looking back on this now, when I watch the game, I mean, it's more the fact that the defending is obviously so bad. That they're terrible. That, terrible, yeah. that this partnership, I don't know if they were facing a better opposition, would this partnership have worked? Um, it was the best night for Ian Wright in an English shirt, certainly. Four goals, wearing the number mm. eight shirt, I thought was quite... Um, Indicative of his international career, that was, that was obviously something that he wore for Arsenal throughout his career. But 
thought that was the only time he wore it for England. Um, Ferdinand's tap-in was great. I mean, at the time, all I wanted to do was let Ferdinand score goals because he was QPR's boy at the time. So, um, But, I mean, they're, they're all scrappy goals. Even, you know, Paul Ince is probably the best goal. But it, it just felt is like... This... Sorry, go on. go on. No, go on, Joe. I was just going to say, is this... I wrote this when I wrote that, I wrote Ince right, Ferdinand right, Ince right, right. Mm. I can't remember three black players being on the score sheet for England. Mm. Mm. And I was sort of looking, having a quick look into it, but I didn't have complete time. But I can't remember that. And especially when that's, that's come from, come from three black players. I can't, I can't ever remember that. Not at that time. Definitely not at that time. Definitely not at that time. Definitely not at that time. No. It has probably um, happened in the more modern game. Oh, it would, would have thought without checking. You think of, well, say Raheem Sterling, but his goal record isn't particularly good. But, I mean, think a lot. Daniel Sturridge had a good spell at one point before yeah. his injury. So I'm, I'm sure it's happened since. But yeah, I think at that point, it was probably the first time that you'd seen three black scorers. It was, yeah, it was Paul Ince's first international goal, actually, um, on this night. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that decision. Because um, this is, yeah, like you, Joe, I wasn't, comp- I was nowhere aware of this decision until I was looking into it today. So with England, obviously, out, I mean, Poland were well beaten by Holland, I think 3-1 in the end. So that they, the BBC knew that this was game over for them. Even England's body language, you can see in those last couple of goals, they know that they're not getting through. So they make this decision to, you know, days before the red button, days before split screen or any kind of way well, of... well any channels anything they couldn't have done anything else they made this incredible decision to turn off the England game and put on Wales versus Romania which is just I mean it's brilliant but I mean they got 34,000 complaints in five minutes which <laughs> I've never heard anything like that in sort of years and years and years of being around the telly 34,000 complaints in five minutes do you, do you but, not remember it happening both of you I don't I, remember that. No, I do. I remember. Um, I remember going back. They they were going back to Cardiff back and forth for sort of updates, and I remember it because I remember John Motson referring to <laughs> referring to it as the Principality. He would say, "Oh, we're going to take you straight to the Principality for for something that happened." And Barry and Davis they, was covering that, wasn't he? Yeah, and they they definitely cut back for the penalty. Now, whether they were there, I'm trying to think of what point they cut over because the penalty was definitely shown. Um, live so at some point they must have they obviously had the technology to cut there if a, if a goal happened but then at some point they must have just said well we may as well just stick with it but I think uh, somebody probably like bill barwick or somebody um whoever was head of sport then um has just gone but i mean that's a ballsy decision a and that wouldn't move, happen yeah. now and nah. it wouldn't be i mean now you would just go it's on bbc3 it's on bbc4 it's yeah. on bbc it's on the red button yeah uh yeah but then, I mean, just to go, we're going to cut off England, no matter what was going on, no matter, you know, you, you never know what might happen in football. You know, Poland might have got one back, Holland might have felt a bit, I mean, obviously not that Holland, but you, you know what I mean? You just never know what might happen. And to do that and to just take that decision to go, ah, nuts to this, we're going to go and show I the suppose they had the potential to go back. Yes, They had the potential to go to Cardiff. They could have gone back. So I suppose it was a case of, well, we'll leave this for now and we come back. But, I mean, I remember them doing it in the 88 European Championships. I remember the England-Russia or Soviet Union game was scrapped and they showed Ireland instead. I think, was it Ireland or was it the other game in the group? So the third game of the group, England were already out. So they must have shown Ireland, been the Ireland, Holland, group, yeah. Ireland, Ireland, Holland. Yeah. Um, and I remember being really annoyed about that as a kid because I you know, you just wanted to watch England because you never really got, got the chance. But, I mean, now thinking about it, I suppose it does make... I suppose it does make sense, but then if thirty-four thousand people moaned about it and 
93, then I suppose a lot of people would have been pretty... The viewing figures jumped up from 2.2 million for the Wales game to 12 points. Yeah, but that's that's because people, nobody had a choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, everybody was just sitting there going, it's a really peculiar decision. So I assume it was was available on BBC Wales then, because otherwise... Yeah, I think it must have been there, and then the rest of it was... Yeah, and then Scotland had the Scottish game, yeah. Mm. We should ask Paul Armstrong when we get Paul Armstrong on, Ash. Right, that, you know Paul Armstrong, who's yep. former editor of Match of the Day and everything, who said he's going to come on, and he's a Borough fan, so he's obviously a good man. Oh, he's obviously uh, there'd be a lot of Borough that time then. Yeah, um, we'll we'll ask Paul about. I think that. I'm busy that night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll ask Paul about that when he comes on because he's covered like all of those games, all everything the BBC did for about 25 years, and he's got a book out, I think. So uh, we'll have to get him on. We'll do a Match of the Day special. We can yeah. talk about the the highs and lows of Match of the Day for sure. Um, just tying a bow on the England game before we talk about what actually happened in the Wales game um, Taylor later said the, the late Graham Taylor he said after the game when the ball went into the net I looked up towards the sky and just said quietly to myself God please tell me what have I done wrong I can laugh about it now because it's a true story normally we can set responsibility for every result and every goal but I mean with eight seconds into the game I knew we would go on but win but you think to yourself what the hell is happening here which is what I think everybody thought Taylor resigned six days later apart, apart from Phil six, Johnson wow six days six days it took him to go um, and then it was the last cap for Des Walker, um, the great, cause, which is I found quite strange seeing as he played on till easily the late. I mean, he wasn't as good he was. Ninety eight or something. Yeah, the late nineties. But even, you know, when, even at Sheffield Wednesday, he was a he was a top top player. But obviously, time had caught up with him. He wasn't the great. You'll never beat Des Walker at that point. And it was Andy Sinton's last cap, which is an. Absolute I, I was going to say there's probably probably a fair few players who had their last cap here when when after Taylor quit. Because I think Stuart Ripley had one more. Uh, yeah, he, he came on in a he came on in a game under Venables and yeah. then went off injured about half an hour into it. Yeah, I remember him in the Euro '96 kit, so I knew that he'd played um, later on in the uh, in the decade. But I think that was the only two, though. I think it was yeah, because Wright would have played Leslie Ferdinand, as they called on there. Um, I don't. Nigel Claff was on the bench. I don't think he played many more. I don't think he got involved again with the England squad, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, can, and. Final point before we quickly talk about Wales. Can anyone guess what David Gaultieri is now doing? He's a lawyer. <laughs> what runs a farm? Close. Computer salesman. Oh. Uh, there you go. Classic. That's like a, he's listening. It's like a first round FA Cup job, isn't it? Someone who's playing for some non-league team is a computer salesman or something. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about their first round of the FA Cup. Since, since when did that go all question a sport? I don't know. I just find that they've just sort of made it all really glitzy I mean, and the bands, isn't it, yeah. It's all, I just find it really patronising the way they find you. Know, they always rock up in some clubhouse somewhere and just, yeah. I just find it really patronising and annoying. And you know, we know how great the FA Cup is or was. And now it's trying to get people to be interested in the first and second, the second yeah, round. Yeah, and it's kind of thing. You know, can you remember when ITV Digital like spent millions and millions and millions of pounds on the Ensley League? And, like, nobody cared. And somebody said that there was one game, I think, that showed, like, Brighton versus Carlisle or something. And they figured out that it would have been cheaper to, um, to take everybody who watched the game from Carlisle down to Brighton in a <laughs> helicopter that it would have been to, like, show the game to the viewers that they got. Does that yeah. make sense? That yeah. sort of... Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? They, they got so few viewers that they might as well have just taken the away fans because it would have been a cheaper enterprise than broadcasting and showing the game and paying everybody's wages. I just, so, I yeah. just find it, I just find it really patronising, and it's, it's also sort of like, oh, you know, parochial, and you know, we know that's what the FA Cup was. I mean, it's probably not so much now because most of them are probably 
more professional than, than or semi-professional, but I just I find it really difficult to watch. And I only mentioned Question of Sport because it just flicks on the TV and it's just <laughs> on my it, TV. It, as well. it, it's um. It's, it's that same ilk. It's all sort of like back slapping and, you know, oh, haven't they done well? And all Boys that clubs. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it doesn't need that. I mean, I think the FA Cup's ruined now anyway, and for whatever reason. But it just, it's like we skirts over the reason. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> cough, mind. Cough, cough, Man United. Yeah, I don't mind admitting <laughs> that, but there's other reasons. I mean, no one wants to win it, basically. No one cares. So this whole thing of, like, the BBC, yeah, I don't know. It's just very, that... that um, uh, what's it called? Not football focus when it gets around to the first round. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just cringeworthy. It really is. It's just, oh, I just can't bear it. And then football focus. Those opening titles the other week were good. The grandstand opening titles. Oh, I didn't see those. Bit. I sent you them. Oh, you did. Yes, sorry. I, I know what you mean now. <laughs> the the grandstand opening titles for football focus yes, on the 60th yeah. anniversary of grandstanding. You, you, know, it hasn't been you see, fo- football focus in the old days of the first round of the Gerald Sinstat would have gone and done a roving report, and he would have spoke to a couple of players in a in a club changing room somewhere with a load of boots up behind him, and that would have been it. And it would have been a story, and they would have gone with it. But now it's so so sort of, it has to be so twee and. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely understand what yeah, you mean. No, I, yeah, no, and, and I'm not, I'm not having a go at the players and the clubs in it at all. It's just, I just find it so sort of, it's so cloying, and it's so cloying. Yeah. Well, it's really like it's the greatest cup competition in the world. It's like, well, it was. Yeah. It's, it's no not, one cares. No one cares anymore. Maidstone United beat Macclesfield, but that's you know my old. I used to live there, but apart from that, nobody cares. You know, when you've te- never lived in Macclesfield. No, I definitely never lived in Macclesfield. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. Sorry to the people of Macclesfield. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very posh part of Cheshire. Okay, there you go. Um, that the Mac game, we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Mac lads as well. <laughs> but, they, but they've never got a mention on this show before. Yeah, it's the first time we've mentioned the Mac lads. <laughs> I shall have to go and look at the Mac lads now. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's my homework for tonight. Um, we were yeah. talking about Wales. This, so this game was switched over. Um, let's talk about the actual game. This is well known for in the Welsh international scene because they needed to beat Romania to make it to USA 94 the first time they would have been at any tournament since 1958 and we all know that they didn't qualify and they wouldn't qualify till 2016 was it Euro 2016 that they saw eventually qualify but they had the chance here they just needed to beat it was 1-1 until and then they got a penalty controversial penalty where Jeremy Goss was uh, brought down in the area and poor old Paul Bowden somebody who's great record at penalties scored for Swindon in the playoff finals uh, a well-known penalty didn't go his way this time, did it, Matthew? No. And did, did we all laugh, or was it just me? <laughs> <laughs> I had this weird, like, soft spot for Wales in in the nineties because I just think they had such a well, yeah. They did have a great team going forward. Those, they had a great yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, even in this even in this game, you know, you had Saunders and Rush and Southall. Although Southall looked a bit past it, it was a goal, yeah, the first goal. Yeah, it was a shocker, but um, yeah, that, I didn't, but that first goal. Right. It, this is something really weird, though. I mean, Southall says he takes responsibility for it. and But Ter- Terry Yorath says an incredible thing, and I wrote the quote down. Because is Terry Yorath the same person <laughs> as Terry Yorath? <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Don't mind. shout at me. You emphasise the A, I think, is the, is the point. Oh, right, making. well, I do apologise. Um, Gabby right, Yorath wouldn't Gabby's be happy. Dad, <laughs> yeah. Gabby's dad said. But he said that 
Like in the in the team talk before the game, he forgot to tell them <laughs> that Hadji likes to go out on the right, go out on the left, and come come in on his right. That was an incredible thing to forget to tell people. Like that, one of the best players in the world at that time, like has a particular skill that he likes to do, and you haven't told them that. In the, the yeah. Plus, talk. plus the fact that it, that doesn't matter whether Southall knew that or not, he still let it. Go right through. Yeah, yeah. And Paul, yes, and that led to Paul Bowden having this opportunity, and he absolutely smashes it, and it just oh. I, I thought this was more key than it was. I mean, everyone thinks everyone goes, "Oh, Paul Bowden missed that penalty that would have put Wales in the World Cup for the first time since '58." Well, it wouldn't really, because I mean, there was a good what twenty minutes yeah, left. They when could have scored again. I mean, yeah. you never know. And what they happen. Yeah. and they did score again, and. So you don't know. I, history sort of makes you t- tells you it was the last kick of the game, doesn't it? But um, I mean, obviously Wales have had a real choker when it comes to penalties and World Cup qualifiers. Because I don't know if you remember, but well, I don't remember. But in '78, they lost out to a controversial penalty at Anfield against Scotland, and then they played Scotland in '85 in a qualifier, the game where the great Jock Steen died. Afterwards, they gave away a penalty there, and that cost them. And then this uh, evidently ultimately cost them as well but I don't remember it I seem to remember people making a big deal of the penalty miss I mean it did I wonder whether Bowden was happy in a way that that Romania scored at the other end I think probably England were providing a bigger distraction than Wales at that time whereas England were always always supposed to get there you know with this arrogance that we have as being the the England team and England fans that England are always going to be there or thereabouts in 1966 and blah 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 blah. whereas Wales are sort of always going to be plucky kind of other little country and you and and we condescend to them by patting them on the head and saying oh well uh, you know good try kids so now actually since Euro 2016 when they were all film cheering Say, oh, yeah. you know when England went out now it's suddenly yeah nuts to Wales get rid of them who cares boo Where's yeah. pat them on the head and you know well done man. Well, plus the fact that Romania pretty much played them off the park I mean if you watch yeah. the highlights I mean, Romania well could've... Dan Pet rescued uh, David Duchovny yeah. Um, you know, he, he he was popping up and about all over the place. Ellie Dimitrescu as well. Was he at Wednesday they, then? Uh, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were a great team. They were just coming. The team that did well at that European Cup. The team that you know that did, early did they, that semis in that. Yeah, World Cup, Sweden yeah. Sweden oh. beat them, didn't they? Yeah, it yeah. Was, you know, Jika Popescu, Georgie Haji, Ellie Dimitrescu obviously played in the in England with that, Tottenham and West Ham. So they were just coming out of that late eighties, early nineties um, sort of communist era, weren't they? The Romanian yeah. sort of club football where they were dominant and uh, you know, so there were no mugs by any means. And, you know, no. obviously they did Wales had to win the game. I think Romania needed a draw, did they not? Or I don't know whether they, Wales did they had go, to win. Wales had to win the game. Yeah, yeah Wales, Wales had to win, had to but win. I don't Romania know whether Romania No, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't have to win. But I mean they, but they still won the game and they missed the chances to get Probably three or four goals. There's so a, it was a. There's a really great quote from uh, Paul Borden. Who is, this, says that, is it the kissing thing? No, the crossbar. Oh, yeah, there's that. Yeah, it's well, a, yeah, oval it's, crossbars. Yeah. The oval, he says the crossbars are oval and not round. And if I'd have hit it half an inch lower, it would have bounced off the underside of the oval and gone in. But well, yeah, how about says, if, it, if it hit it six inches lower, it would have gone in? Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, there is that kissing <laughs> thing as well where he says that he's, he, the keeper went up and kissed the ball. Yeah. And he says that it made him go up and go and wipe the kiss off the ball. And I think this is a thing across all. And he says that sort of put him off. He was just trying his hardest to concentrate and everything. And that the keeper coming up, kissing the ball, him wiping it off, putting it off. But I think if you see that a, a lot of the time in 
in other sports where you that, that's where I think somebody's going to blob it if they go up and they want to move an imaginary piece of something or they just need to do something to ball. You see yeah. it in snooker a lot, you know, somebody going well, for a shot and then the classic... stands up and there's a bit of lint or you know yeah. golf. Nah. You see it. It's almost yeah. guaranteed, isn't it? Yeah. Mares was like that at Anfield yeah. the other week. If you've ever seen yeah. someone you get dead cert to miss, it. I mean, if anyone was going to be 33 to one on. It was going to be him to miss that penalty. I mean, you just knew he wasn't going to score. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, um, there's a great YouTube clip actually that I, I might I try I might post on the on the Twitter feed that they recreate this penalty. I, I thought it was a Phoenix from the Flames first of all, but it's not. It's I don't even know where it's from. Some Welsh TV show. So it's Paul Boding and Malcolm Allen who was on who, who played that night. He was on the bench. He came on. Um, and they're they're at Swindon, I think, as both coaches, and they recreate this penalty. Paul Bowden's son is in the youth team at the time, so he's watching his dad recreate this, you know, absolute nightmare moment for him, and he scores the penalty, and it's just very awkward with Paul Bowden going, "Yeah, well, at least I scored that one." And it's, uh, yeah, and Malcolm Allen is very Welsh, which I never realised because he speaks in the in the in the Welsh language at the end, and it's it's crazy. I didn't realise how much of an accent he had. I suppose I've never really realised or interviewed Malcolm Allen, ex-Newcastle player. But yeah, it's a interesting uh, YouTube clip. I'll put that on the Twitter feed. Um, just finishing up on Wales, they obviously didn't qualify. Terry Uroth, contract ended the next day, so he was gone. Romania, as we said, went on and uh, got to the World Cup semi-finals at ESA 94, started with Georgie Hadji. Um, a quick mention on the same day, the only, well, we call them home nations, but obviously they're not. But we like to, you know, include them. Republic of Ireland drew with Northern Ireland to qualify um, for the World Cup USA '94. They had a one-one draw there with a goal from Alan McLaughlin that got them qualified ahead of Denmark and on their way to the USA, which we've talked about on many times on here because it's one of the. Well, no, it's my favourite World Cup, as everybody knows. But yeah, Wales weren't there, England weren't there, but Ireland were. Um, I think that kind of ties it up quite nicely, everybody. So it only remains to us to say, uh, Joe, where can people, where are we on, you know, it's a good time to catch up with Top of the Pops. Where, what's happening on your Twitter feed and Top of the Pops? 90, 1986. Top We're still in 86. We're still in 86. Yeah, I think Boris Gardner, I want to wake up with you, is number one at the minute, but it's just about to turn into, I can't remember what else is up there, but uh, it's all right. I think, I think next week is actually, unless it was Friday gone, but it might be tomorrow, is... Um, cameo word up when word Larry the singing, singer out cameo has his bright red cod piece on which was didn't quite get 34,000 complaints in five minutes of the BBC but must have been pretty close I think Mel B's version should have got 34,000 complaints when oh, that, that was that, the thing with Missy Elliott yeah, yeah that was lame Terrible. wasn't it well yeah. there was a group called Gun who did a heavy metal like Ooh. yeah they were a 90s band yeah they were... like a metal version of it that was really good fun oh, okay yeah. and where yeah, can people find that. you on Twitter when you're talking about this uh, Joel Baby Her. And on Instagram yeah. too. And on Instagram too. Today on Instagram I posted a very nice picture of the uh, Blood Red London Sky. Oh, I did see that, yeah. Shepherd's Delight. Yeah. It was wonderful. Well, no, Shepherd's Warning, isn't it? Yeah, Red so Sky it is, Warning. Yeah, yeah Sky yeah. Warning. Yeah. I said I didn't know any Shepherds, so it was all right. Yeah. Uh, and Matthew, where can people find you? You posted a great article about the Indodoto Cup, which I believe you got an idea when we were talking on here. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll divvy up next time I see you. I'll buy you, I'll, I'll buy you a six pound pint. Lovely. Well, Ashton loves me a tenner. I do. Yeah, I was a witness to that. I did, didn't yeah. I? I uh, that's that's yeah. very naughty of me. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Um, I'm happy, mate. You give me free wrestling tickets. I did give you free wrestling tickets. Yeah, that's true. Because Ash, Ash is now the editor of WWE Kids Magazine, you know, uh, Matthew. I don't know whether you'd heard that. Oh, I've heard, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I did hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did hear. I didn't mean to be flipping about mate, it. You're going to you're gonna have to start writing in-depth wrestling articles for kids. That's just the next thing. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, the only wrestling I'm interested in, and I've said this before, is is the attitude era between what? Well, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of what's been said in that era, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but 
well, not yeah. <laughs> yeah, they won't. They won't remember that. You're on NFL at the moment. You're not far stretched from from WWE. Yeah, I'm Mr. NFL for a bit fair at the minute and enjoying and it. Cricket. And, uh, and cricket and golf and mm-hmm. rugby league. Yeah. And uh, I am the uh, the Mark Chapman of. Uh, well, I think Paddy Power do bet in for WWE, which is ridiculous because somebody knows yeah, the result. <laughs> somebody knows what's going to happen. I, I, I actually, I put five pounds on the main event of WrestleMania to be Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey today. Well, yeah, it could well be, but we'll talk about that on our other show, Mister Young. Yes, um, yes. Matthew, did you say your Twitter feed? I don't know if you got yeah, onto it. Yeah, I'm not sure. No one cares, but it's at <laughs> Matthew J Christ. Thank you very much. Follow the show on Twitter at AK90s and on Instagram at AK90s Pod. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully with two shows. We'll do it this week in the 90s, and we've got a Bruce Grobbler interview that will be themed around that. Check out the Twitter feed to make sure when that drops on your subscription-based platform. I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s.